Welcome to Unapologetically Us, the podcast where immigrants and their children celebrate our unique heritage, consider what it means to live in between cultures, and contemplate what it means to be American. I am your host, Dr. B. And hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Amatayo Banjo. I am a media psychologist whose interests are in identity, how we see ourselves, how others see us, the stories we tell and the impact of those stories on larger narratives about who we are. My desire is to create space for voices and experiences that might be overlooked. I've published some articles, written a few op-eds, edited some books, have a blog, and now I'm starting a podcast. For the first episode, I am so fortunate to have my dear friend, Stuthi Kandaval as my guest. Excuse me, Dr. Stuthi. The reason I say that is because at your graduation, when you graduated from BU, I remember changing your name from Stuthi Kandaval to Stuthi Kandaval, MD. I was so proud of you. So welcome, Stuthi. How are you doing? Hey, Tayo. <laughs> I am super excited to be your first guest speaker on this <laughs> fabulous podcast. I think it's a great idea. Thank you. You've always been such a good friend and great supporter. So it just means so much to me that you're a part of this project. How long have we known each other? 2003. I met you in our junior, either sophomore or junior year at Penn State. So I would say almost like 18, 19 years. Oh my gosh, I love you so much. Oh my gosh, almost 20 years of, I mean, I'm so grateful for you. And I know I tell you that a lot. I just am so happy that we were able to connect and we can have this moment today. So, and one thing I really love about us is that we're really kindred spirits. I have a handful of friends that I have this kind of connection with, but, and I'm so grateful for them. So we are discussing what it looks like to live in between cultures. Now I was born here. You weren't. So I have a slightly different narrative from you, but I'd like to hear um, your story. Why don't we start with your story? What brought you to the U.S.? How old were you? So I actually came here when I was 16. I turned 17 a few months of coming here. And I came here for my education. So after high school, I came here for undergrad. At that time, the intention was not to be a doctor because, you know, it's a really long path to becoming a doctor in the U.S. So I thought I was going to do like biomedical engineering and, you know, it would be a quick sort of four-year degree. And then maybe I would go back to India or maybe I would stay. But, you know, my parents wanted both me and my brother to be educated abroad. They weren't too happy with the education system in India. So my brother went to England. I came to the U.S. and I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> And actually, that was one of the questions I was going to ask, because I've heard that story so often. Like we came here for education. We were thinking about going back. And here we are, grandparents. <laughs> um, we've been here for you know generations. So that's so typical. So I'm curious, what was your first impression of the U.S.? Like imagine when you first arrived, like, do you recall your first impression? So, you know, my first impression, I, I remember being in this really small town in Pennsylvania called Altoona. I had no idea what I applied and got into within the Penn State University campus system. I think I just checked the wrong box and I ended up in <laughs> Altoona instead of State College. And it was this like really 
quiet sort of white town and everybody was really polite and nice and so I was like oh wow like you know everybody's really nice here it's clean every you know there's discipline people are well-mannered and then at international student orientation they took us to watch a movie called American Pie 2 <laughs> are you serious <laughs> and I got the biggest culture shock of my life when I saw you know really you know genitals and sexuality and sex and college life and drinking and parties and I was like whoa I I remember sitting next to a Pakistani guy and on one side and a guy from I think he was from Brazil on the other side so there are two guys on one on each side and me this Indian girl and what there's like penises we're looking at penises and you know talking about all this stuff and I was like, oh my gosh, what? This is the most uncomfortable feeling. And and then my roommate was also like this really like, she wouldn't leave the dorm without putting on makeup. And, you know, I got all, I was pretty shocked on, you know, what is the focus of, you know, young people in college. And that, because that was not what I came for. You mean you, um, you didn't come for penises? <laughs> <Is> that what <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to America. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think that was my, those are the first few experiences that come to mind within my first few weeks here. Yeah. Wow. That is so interesting. I wonder, like, did they think that through? Did they think you would find it funny? Or are they like, welcome to America. Watch this American pie. Like, <laughs> You know, I don't even think they really thought it through. Honestly, in that campus, we were we were like five international students. So I really, I think I ended up in the wrong place. I think at University Park, which is Penn State's largest campus, there is a huge international community. And I transferred there pretty quickly because I had to get out of Altoona. <laughs> so, and that's where I met you. So, you know, I took as many credits as possible and got out of Altoona, transferred to University Park. And there I felt a little bit more at home. Mm. There were a lot of Indian students. There was an Indian student association. I actually started a Hindu student association. There was a Punjabi student association, lots of like international representation. So at Altoona, I really, I honestly don't think they had a clue on what to do with us five international students. <laughs> that, I mean, well, that's, that's so interesting. So. I was thinking about how when I first asked you about joining me in a conversation, when I first think about being in between, I think about me as a second generation American who felt like at home, it was Nigerian and outside of the home, it was American. But you lived 16 years of your life or so in India, and then you came here and I'm wondering, while in school, did you ever sort of catch yourself changing? Do you recall a moment where you're like, I'm changing? Are there things you wouldn't have done at home, but you did here in the States? Absolutely. You know, starting from the really obvious, right? The clothing, the the food. I mean, I ate cheeseburgers, actually, <laughs> when I first came here. And all these like tuna and stuff that I had never even seen. And, you know, gained the freshman 15 pretty quickly. 
my accent started to change when I would go back to India and spend time with my friends. They'd be like, oh, like, look at you, you know, you're mannerisms your body language your choice of words your accent um, can you give me an example like do you recall any example anything that your friends brought up you know okay so <laughs> there was a guy who was actually who you know claimed to be in love with me in high school he was he had a crush on me and he had right before coming to the states he had written me like this long email professing his love and I'll wait for you when you come back etc etc and when I went back I think it was a year or two after being in the states I went back for winter break or summer break or something and I met up with him just to kind of catch up and you know he he came to my house we just caught up just chatted and he actually sent me an email after leaving my house saying you've changed you're not the same Suti that I was in love with in high school. And uh, good luck with your life and oh. your, yeah. And he, and I haven't heard from him since. And, you know, I wanted to, in, in hindsight, I probably should have replied back and asked him, you know, I'm curious on what you think changed in me. But I don't know. I, I, I didn't really follow up on that because I wasn't really close with him or interested in him. And I didn't want him to think otherwise anyway. But here I am talking to you about this 18 years later. So I do think something probably had changed in me. My suspicion is that, you know, in the U.S., you have to be, you cannot, okay, let's just put it this way. I don't think you can just speak your mind. and No, you cannot. Be, <laughs> no, you, I don't think you can just like speak your mind, you know, walking down the street and like be yourself, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of facades that you have to put up and be politically correct and hold back and, you know, be composed and be polite. And, you know, there's a lot you have to hold back, whether you're in line at the grocery store or whether I'm seeing patients or whether, you know, I'm having a pool party in my backyard. Like, so my suspicion is that when he said that you're not the Suti that you used to be, I suspect that I had stopped showing that Suti to people that I used to be because I, I got used to putting up this front that I just started doing it even when I was home in India. So yes, aside from change of clothes and accents and food and this and that, I think what may have changed over these years is this hesitation to be completely myself and to hold back and now that I am here you know I've been here for almost two decades now it's just part of life you know you just now I don't even know actually who I am even when I'm in my room behind closed doors just or me in the shower I don't now it's kind of like how do I let loose and how do I just be because maybe that's not even who I am anymore Right. It's like myself has evolved to in the process of assimilation, in the process of trying to be a part of the American society. I think you end up maybe I've, I'm past that. I'm no longer that person. Now I'm now this is the new me. That's I mean, there's so much insight, so many things to consider with, with regards to what you just shared. One, I'm thinking about how I think that's something we have in common, which I think I told you before our 
maybe blunt nature. And the reason I was like, no, you cannot is because the book I'm reading, How to Win Friends and Influence People is basically like, do not say what's on your mind. And I'm like, why not? <laughs> but that's not how most of the world works. I'm wondering also how much of, um, in a communication, you talk about, you know, some cultures having direct form of communication, whereas others are more indirect. So I wonder how much of that played a role too in some of those tensions. And then you also brought up this sense of the process of evolving. Like while you've been here, you're sort of becoming someone that you seem to not know who that is yet. So I was going to ask whether or not you feel assimilated or do you feel like you're still foreign? Like how would you describe your journey on the assimilation road or where you are right now on the process of assimilation? So I'll tell you right off the bat, every time someone tries to pronounce my name, I feel foreign. Mm. I can never feel assimilated because a lot of people cannot pronounce my name. So every time I have to spell out my name and have that back and forth of teaching someone how to say my name, right then and there is a daily reminder that I am foreign. The other reminder is actually legally, I am labeled as a resident alien because mm -hmm. I'm here on a work visa. Despite being here for close to two decades, I'm still considered a resident alien. It's a very unfortunate terminology in my opinion, but it is what it is. So, you know, those two are like the most obvious reminders that I'm still foreign. Now, on a more sort of humorous level, if you may, you know, in conversations that I have with my colleagues or people who are born and brought up here, you know, they, for example, will be talking about something and then this colleague of mine will reference this really famous movie from the 1960s or like this idiom that is used pretty commonly here. And I'll nod along and I'll have a smile on my face again, quote unquote facade. But in my head, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have no idea what this movie is. I have no idea what this idiom <laughs> means. And let me not get caught. Mm -hmm. And let me just pretend that I'm following this conversation. And I will, you know, turn back around to my desk and finish my work, you know. But if, if I'm comfortable with that person, like, for example, you, I might stop you in the middle of the conversation and tell you, hey, I don't know what that is. Can you tell me what that is? You know, so it kind of depends on the comfort level with the person, how comfortable I am revealing my lack of assimilation. So, yeah, I think I'm quite frequently reminded that I am foreign. I do not feel assimilated. I mean, I feel assimilated in the sense like I get it, like I, I get how the system works here, you know, I'm, my entire training has been here. I'm a medical doctor. So, you know, I'm obviously, I can practice medicine and I know how the medical system works and patient care and medical education and all of that. And the way of life, I'm in the rhythm, I'm in the flow of things. That's not a problem. But there's daily reminders where and even with my son, like, you know, with even with him, it's actually a daily reminder because I pack his food, mm -hmm. uh, which is Indian food. And that itself, like he reminds me every day that mom, they make me sit at a side table because I bring food from home. And why do I have to eat separately from others? And I have to tell him that, you know, you know I don't think it's necessary for you to sit at a separate table, but it's the school's rules. But, you know, we are Indian and I want you to eat the food from home. And mind you, I don't even pack Indian food for him. 
I do all sorts of fusion, Indo-Italian, Indo-Chinese, Indo-Mexican. Ooh, Indo-Italian. You got to send me those recipes. <laughs> and all that stuff. So, but, you know, he is very well aware that he is, yes, he has American passport. He's an American citizen, but he is very well aware that we are Indian. We are an Indian family. So just having him intercept and learn to like watching him on the journey of identity formation as a second generation immigrant is also a daily reminder for me that we are immigrants. Mm. I mean, I am, I am still foreign. Mm -hmm. So by the way, I wasn't joking about the Indo-Italian recipe. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No problem. So think and cook for those who are listening. She, I love your food. And so I really am serious about that. Okay. So when we talk about living in between cultures, what comes up for you? Confusion. <laughs> <laughs> it's really a foreign place in the sense that you have to actually take a hammer and nails and planks of wood and actually construct this place for yourself because it's like we say in Hindi, it's dobi ka kutta na ghar ka na ghat ka, which basically means you're like the laundryman's dog that doesn't belong to the laundry place that they do laundry in India, it's like an open space, which is called Dovigat. So you're, you're the dog that doesn't belong there, but you're also the dog that doesn't belong at the laundry man's home either. You're just like running around in between. Mm, yeah. So th- I think like that idiom pretty much sums on who we are, like, or at least how I feel, because when I go back home, I'm in a culture shock. I'm in a state of shock. And I'm like, I feel foreign there too, because it's not the India that I grew up in. And actually what makes me feel not at home in India is actually how westernized it's gotten. Mm, um, and I'm like, wait a second. I want to wear Indian clothes. I want to eat Indian food. I want to sit on the floor and eat. I want to go to authentic like places. You know, I want to have a conversation in the, in the local language, you know. But I see all these people, you know, wanting to take me to like fancy restaurants and, you know, they wear all these Western clothes, whereas I'm dressed in Indian clothes. I don't know. It's just not the same India I grew up in. That's very interesting. I want to explore that a little bit more. So when you go back home, you feel out of place, not because it's home, but because it's it's not the home you knew. Right. I mean, I left India at the age of 16, where we barely were just getting internet at home. I think I had a Hotmail account and AOL or something uh, when Mm -hmm. I left there as a teenager. You know, we did not have cell phones. I grew up with landlines. I grew up taking my bicycle around for running errands for my mom. It was safe. You know, we could, me and my friends, we could just bike around at 6 a.m. or 8 p.m., And we were really innocent, you know, like holding hands in high school was like the scandalous thing to do. And now, you know, everything is fair game in India with the teens and Mm -hmm. even in middle school, I guess. So I think my, the place that I call home, that comfort zone, that innocent home, I, when I go back, I have to search for it. I have to make it happen because most of the time it's actually the other way around it's not innocent it's all very materialistic it's all industrialized there's there's malls and cars and english and mcdonald's and subway and you know fast food chains 
and pollution and safety issues and catcalling and corruption and all this stuff around. And so I have to really search for and try to find that innocent India that was my home. Yeah. And I wanted to show that to my son when I took him there. But, you know, I think he's going to see what he's going to see. I can't really protect him. You know, his version of India is going to be whatever his version of India is. So, yeah, yeah, going back to your question, I think that's the reason why I feel disconnected when I go back. That's very interesting. It's like this tension between transnationalism, like crossing boundaries and globalization, which is really when the West sort of takes over other countries. So that's really fascinating to me, at least. So I'm curious, have you ever had any interactions with your communities that challenges your feeling of belongingness, whether it's interactions with Indians who just came here or interactions with American-born friends? Yes, a lot of our sort of friends in the Indian community here have come for like masters or for work or because they married into somebody who was here for their masters or work. They're often shocked to hear when I actually came here for undergrad. That's actually not that common. And then they're even more shocked to hear that I did my medical education here because a lot of the doctors actually end up doing MBBS, which is the Indian medical degree. And then they come here for residency. Mm-hmm. But I did the whole shebang here, you know, my bachelor's, my MD, my MPH residency. So that right there, even within the Indian community, I feel I am different. The second, one of the biggest sort of quote unquote Western things that I've done in my life is that I took a year off. Oh, yeah. The concept of a year <laughs> off is completely foreign in the east uh at least in (laughs) india i mean it's blasphemous it's literally blasphemous to take a break in your studies and travel and take a yoga course and meditate in thailand for two months and volunteer in slums in mumbai like people thought i was crazy i remember (laughs) right and i i actually tayo it's so funny i brought out the file i have my memories from that year off and i have a printout of the letter that i wrote you um from the year 2006. I was just reading it uh, the other day. So yeah, for listeners, Ty and I go way back. (laughs) Um, (laughs) If you can't tell. So going back to, you know, belonging, people are shocked to hear that, you know, I took a year off and I did all this stuff and this and that. So again, I'm even within the Indian community, I'm reminded that I am different. Not that other people don't have unique experiences you know everybody has unique experiences but I think I think the concept of the year off is very unheard of in the Indian typical life plan if you may yeah yeah I mean I just imagine like um like so for me being born here I was always reminded by Nigerians and Africans overall, mostly Sub-Saharan Africans, when they would see me in a grocery store and they could tell I was African or they heard my name. Once they heard my speech, my diction, my accent, they just would go out of their way to, to tell me, you're not Nigerian. You are American. Right. right. And I just was like, why are you so committed to tearing me down? I don't even know you. <laughs> 
But so it would be things like that where I, I think of um, people I know who might say that they want to focus on their studies. Actually, this happened to me. They want to focus on their studies. They're not looking for a husband right now. And all the African mothers being like, oh, my God, America has gotten to you. You know, it's like another reminder that something's different. You're, you're not valuing family like you're supposed to. Like once you get your degree, then you get married then you have your kids. And so there are ways, subtle ways that the community here can tell, kind of remind you that you aren't following the path <laughs> that you're supposed to as an African or as a Nigerian, or at least in my case. Yep. So I was going to ask you too about how have you found making friends here in the States? How would you describe your community while being here? Like making friends is hard for me. I didn't think that I was, it was going to be hard for me, but it ended up being hard for me because like an undergrad, I really put myself out there because, you know, I was really happy to see that people are really polite and really nice and really curious. But I got burned so many times mm. because people don't want to see the true you. Yeah, They're just fascinated by the exotic, you know, nature of you, but not you, you. So I actually ended up taking a backseat. And then I was like, okay, I'm not going to keep getting hurt. I am going to pick my friends very carefully. And oddly enough, most of my friends from undergrad, we bonded over religion. So I had like Tayo with you, with Hanye, who is Muslim, with Rivka, who was uh, or who is Jewish. And then I made a few friends through the Hindu Student Society. So it was because college was so superficial in the sense that it was so there was so many superficial things that that was not what I wanted to bond over that's not what I thought was worth investing in mm-hmm. so picking out those people and really sort of keeping up over the years is hard it requires a lot of effort and sincerity and it's a two-way street right. so automatically through the years my friends got filtered And then in med school and in residency, I found a little bit more of the Indian community. And so now I have like a few friends in the Bay Area who are Indian, one is Sri Lankan. And in Fresno, it's been hard. I mean, I think now that I'm a mother, a lot of my friends are through playdates and, you know, moms. Motherhood is now the new bonding thing. So I think it's, I don't know. It's not like India where you can just go and walk into your neighbor's house and have a cup of tea and spend the yeah. morning there. Like here, yeah. people don't do that. Like people, mm-hmm. you have to like text and plan and think and, you know, set mm-hmm. a time and think about what you're going to bring and what they're going to bring and clean the house. And it's just <laughs> not that easy. Yeah, um, yeah. It's really not that easy to make a community here. Yeah. And that sort of speaks to the idea of the presentation and the facade. And I've heard a lot of immigrants like it's so interesting when I travel and I get into cabs back then before Uber was popular. I would always have these interesting conversations with the cab drivers. And there was one time there was one year where no matter where I traveled, the cab driver, no matter where he was from, or he or she was from, they would always say they would end up saying it's lonely here. That even though they came here for opportunity back home, there was family, there was community, there was something deeper, a connection, people who cared. But here, they didn't have that connection. And I found that really interesting. And I remember talking to my dad and asking him about that. And he, he said, yeah, he, he said he found it very lonely. When he comes here, he just sits in his house and gains weight. <laughs> uh, I'm laughing now because he said his doctor said he's obese. 
And he said, uh, well, when I get back to Nigeria and start stressing out over people not doing what they're supposed to do, I'll be, I'll lose the weight. <laughs> um, but back home, it's much more connected. So I think it's really interesting. And then also for me, it got to a point where I realized none of my friends, like people I considered friends, they were American American. It hit mm-hmm. me one day. I was in grad school and I was thinking about all my friends and I'm like, okay, there's Stathi, there's my other friend who is Trinidadian American, another friend of mine who's Jamaican American, another friend who's Nigerian American. And I think one of the things I, I'm kind of, I'm wondering whether or not is the fact that people who, who have backgrounds outside of the U.S. have a certain insight, have a certain perspective of the world that I can connect with. So I wonder if that's what it was about. But now I have much more, much more of a diverse pool of friends. And when you mentioned about connecting with your friends over faith and religion and or, or people sort of exoticizing you, I remember thinking about that sometimes, like, I hope I'm not doing that to but I know that it's not that. We connected over something much more deeply. Yeah. Um, but I remember when I met your mom and automatically I bowed. Do you remember that when I bowed and then I corrected myself? Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, and then she said, no, no, that's how we do it. And I just realized that in that moment, I realized maybe that's also why I feel connected because I just feel like this is reminds me of home. Like, yeah, being around people who are not from here remind me of how I grew up or just home, like the respect for elders and right. the connect the, the value of community. So, yeah, that's what my experience was with you. OK, so a few more questions. What kind of negotiations in your cultural identity do you find yourself making? What do you hold on to? What have you discarded? Is there anything you sort of on the fence about? I definitely hold on to food. (laughs) (laughs) Like three days ago, I made like this recipe that I had maybe 20 years ago in India, which my mom doesn't even make anymore. And I ended up calling her because I found this green leafy vegetable at the farmer's market. And I was like, oh my God, that's batwa. Batwa ki kadi banaungi maaj. And I called up my mom. I was like, mommy, batwa ki kadi ki recipe do. Sorry, I'm totally talking in Hindi right now, which basically means, mom, give me the recipe for this, you know, it's a, it's a yogurt based green leafy stew type thing. And my mom was like, you remember that? I haven't even made that in like two decades. I'm like, of course I do. I used to love it as a little girl. Mm -hmm. So Indian food for sure. The language. Actually, my mom catches me saying words in Hindi, which like she doesn't even use anymore, which is what I'm talking wow. about, like the westernization in India. Um, yeah, you taught, so, and me, I, you taught me Danya, Danyavad. Danyavad, yeah. And right. when I got nobody to says India, in India. Exactly. When I got to India, they looked at me like, okay, you're welcome. Are you crazy? Like, <laughs> they were impressed. And I was like, okay, never mind. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. So. I try to do that. You know, I try to talk to uh, Satya, my son in Hindi, um, keep that alive. So Indian food, in the language, the clothing, the dance, I try to keep up with my sort of semi-classical Bollywood fusion type dance. So what I'm on the fence about, and this is what I'm negotiating, is like religion in the sense. So there's two things. One is the philosophy, like the Vedanta, the Hindu philosophy which I want to keep and I want to keep alive and explore more as I grow and teach my son, et cetera. But the other thing is sort of like the rituals, like there's so many Hindu festivals and there's so many rituals, both on a daily basis and, you know, on these occasions. 
and certain just rites and rituals surrounding or that are related to Hinduism, which honestly I have lost over the years just because there's no community like, you know, like Holi, Diwali are like two main festivals. And honestly, like, especially in the pandemic, nothing happened. We totally, I didn't even know. Holi came and went, Diwali came and went. We didn't do anything. So part of me feels guilty that I'm letting it go and I'm not actively, you know, keeping them alive in my house. But my husband is also not that into it. So I think that makes it hard to keep it alive when you're like the only one trying to do that. So that's what I'm on the fence about. But like, I'm actually more interested in the Buddhist philosophy, which I picked up in college and in my year off. So, and that's where I, going back to like living in between, like I'm kind of like this Hindu, I'm a born Hindu, but I'm more Buddhist inclinations. And I'm trying to like figure out how much of Hinduism to kind of be a part of my daily life and keep alive. That's what comes to mind in terms of what I'm on the fence about. But okay, so I'll end with this. What strategies do you use when you're feeling like you don't belong? And do you ever see any benefits of being in between? So actually, the Buddhist philosophy helps me with this sort of living in between confusing place, because at the end of the day, you know, I'm just a particle in the universe. You know, all these immigrant, Indian, American, whatever, resident alien, these are just names. It doesn't mean anything. At the end of the day, we're all just human beings. We have the same anatomy, physiology, the blood. It doesn't matter. So whenever I get really overwhelmed by who am I, the answer is you are nothing. You started from nothing and you will go into nothing. Mm-hmm. It's all just one big one. Mm-hmm. You know, that's also the Vedantic philosophy of Hinduism. It's all just one that you came from and you'll go back into. So that helps me to shed all these complicating layers and names. And what was the uh, second part of your question? Do you see any benefit to living in between? Oh, heck yeah. I mean, <laughs> I like, oh yeah. I don't know what I would do if I was just American speaking English and eating <laughs> Italian food. <laughs> you know, sorry if I'm like being politically incorrect here. No, no, but, I love it. <laughs> I mean, I am so thankful for my Indian background, the food, the clothes, the culture, the movies, the language, the jewelry. And, you know, I have so much to reflect back on. I have so much to look forward to with respect to like my son growing up and exposing him to this culture. And, you know, I have so much to teach others and offer others, especially like, I mean, going back to food, right? I am always, people are always asking me for recipes and I'm always sharing my Indian flavors into like the American cuisine. So I wouldn't change any of it. I wouldn't give up any of that. I actually wouldn't even know. I think I would be like this really bland, boring person if if it hadn't been for my journey through India and all of that. So I am very proud of it. Yay, Sithi, you are the best. If I haven't told you enough times, I really appreciate being able to talk to you. And I've learned some things too. I have this one burning question though. Mm -hmm. So when you first got here, you said you had cheeseburgers. Weren't you a vegetarian? (laughs) What happened? So yes, that's a very good question. So guess what? 
My dad, my dad told me, okay, you're going to go to America. You're not going to survive as a vegetarian. You have to eat meat. (laughs) So, and I believed him. And I believed him to the point where I gained the freshman 15 by eating the horrible food in the cafeteria. (laughs) And then I woke up one morning, spring break. I looked at the ceiling lying on my bed. And I said, what am I doing? This doesn't feel right. I'm going to become a vegetarian again, mm-hmm. which is what I had wanted from the very beginning, mm-hmm. but because of family pressure. So that's it. I, after spring break, sophomore year, I became a vegetarian, lost all the weight, became super interested in vegetarian food and experimenting with different recipes. I remember like then going into that same cafeteria and instead of going for the burger, I would go to the salad bar and create myself like really creative, like vegetarian oh, wow. sandwiches You've always been so out creative. of the salad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I was, my dad was completely wrong. I actually <laughs> thrived. I'm thriving. You know, I yeah. thrived as a vegetarian yeah. and I wouldn't, you know, go back. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I asked that. I was like, cheeseburger. (laughs) So, okay. Well, this ends our first episode and I'm so happy that you were my first guest. So thank you so much, Sati. I am so honored. It was such a pleasure and such a delight as always, Tayo. I love you. I love you too. (laughs) Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, share with others and leave a rating and review. You can also follow the Unapologetically Us blog. That's un-apologetically-us.com. <laughs>